Hello everybody, I'm Meredith and reading today from Psalm 7. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Morning, everyone. Really good to be with you today. Uh, My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Paraka. Let me tell you that 1997 was a very important year in my life. Now, I know some of you weren't born then, but bear with me here. Um, It's an important year in my life. That was the year that me and my brother and my sister discovered that there is popular music that, that is different from what our parents listen to. So every morning on Saturday, we'd get up early-ish, we'd rush to the telly to watch the Rage Top 50 countdown. <laughs> From that year, there were such classic bangers as Barbie Girl by Aqua, Mbop by Hanson, Will Smith sang the Men in Black song. Anybody know this kind of stuff? Yeah? Um, look, on the, in hindsight, these maybe weren't such great all-time classics, were they? But at the time, they, they grabbed you. They were, they were some of the top songs of that year. Some of you are thinking, whoa, 1997, I don't want to go back there. <laughs> but that's what music music's supposed to do. It's supposed to grab you, capture your attention, capture your emotion. And, and you know, that's why the Psalms are in the Bible too. The Psalms are like a songbook in the Old Testament. Um, if there was a rage countdown of the top 40 songs in ancient Israel, it would be chockers full of the Psalms. So when Meredith read out Psalm 7 just then, did it do that for you? Did it capture you? Did it grab your emotions and make you feel? Oh, we're in church, right? So we, know that we all know that the right answer is yes, yes it did, absolutely, yeah. And very moving. But deep down, I suspect most of us are thinking, you know what? Psalm 7 didn't really do that for me. It's not that there's anything wrong with you. I I just want to assure you at that point. 
It's just that the Psalms can seem really removed from us. That they, sometimes they don't capture us because things are so different. The Psalms were written quite a long time ago. They were written in a different culture that's, that's foreign to us. And they sing about different things. You ever notice, what, do, what are our sad songs about? Often it's about love stories gone wrong, yeah? In Psalms, though, the sad songs are about someone chasing someone else and trying to kill them. It's very different. And so you might be thinking, great, if this song was meaningful for people back then, wonderful. But, but does it really do anything for us today? Actually, if we peel below the surface, Psalm 7 speaks to something that is very common in our world today. Shall we take a closer look then? Let's start with the backstory of this song. Uh, so this is a, a psalm. It's written by King David. He became the most important king in Israel's history. But here in Psalm 7, he has just been slandered. His name has been dragged through the mud and he does not like it. You see this in the introduction to the psalm. Uh, in the intro, David wrote, uh, David wrote this. He said that the psalm is about Cush. It's concerning Cush, a Benjamite. And it appears this guy, Cush, has been um, spreading lies about David. You can see what Cush says in verses 3 and 4. So this is David's prayer. He says, Lord, my God, if I've done this and if there's guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe. That's what Cush is saying about David. He's going around saying, you know, that David guy, yeah, not such a good guy, is he? Well, you don't want to be his friend. You know what he does to his friends? He just uses them and abuses them. And like, even worse, if you're his enemy, if you're his enemy, he's just going to go and attack you for no reason at all. So David, he's not a good guy, is he? Now, we don't know who Cush the Benjamite is. This is the only time we hear about him in the Bible. Uh, and so we don't know the precise moment that David is, is, is talking about in Psalm 7. But it seems to fit really well with the time before David was the king. Saul was still the king in Israel, and he was a Benjamite like Cush. And some of the people around Saul, some of his advisors, they kept saying to him, look, David's trouble. David wants to be the king. He wants your place, or he's trying to kill you so he can take the throne. You see this kind of thing in the book of 1 Samuel. So, 1 Samuel gives us a history of what it was like when Saul was the king. And in 1 Samuel 23, Saul is chasing after David. Saul is trying to kill David. And then in chapter 24, God kind of reverses the tables. David has a chance to kill Saul, but he doesn't. And listen instead what, what David says to Saul. This is 1 Samuel 24 verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground, and he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. See, David is not trying to kill Saul. But that's what the people around Saul keep telling him. That's what the advisors keep saying. They're, they're trying to, to pull David's name through the mud, to ruin his reputation, to tear him down. 
In Psalm 7, that's exactly the kind of thing that Cush is doing to David. So I want to pause there and ask, has that experience ever happened to you? Where someone has spoken lies about you and tried to damage your reputation? Has that ever happened to you? In our world today, that kind of thing is not uncommon. It's not unusual. Just go on Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media platform you want and you see it all the time. And you can imagine, can't you, you know, how this happens in a workplace where people are competing for the manager's attention or to get the promotion. Where, or you can imagine in a friendship group where someone feels hurt about something somebody else said and it just ends up in a bad cycle. And if it has happened to you, I'm sure you hated it, right? It's a horrible feeling. All you want to do is, is, is to show that it's not true, show that you are not the person that they're saying you are. That's exactly what David wants here. In verses 3 and 5, it's, he kind of pronounces a curse on himself. That's how far he's prepared to go to say this isn't true. Look at verse 3. Um, Lord, my God, if I've done this, and, and, and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid evil, repaid my ally with evil, or, or without cause have robbed my foe, he's saying, if I really have done this, then, then let my enemies pursue me and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. You see, David is so confident that he is innocent. He says, I'm ready to be cursed if anyone can show that I am guilty. It's a sign. He is innocent. What would you do? Again, if this is you, what's your reaction? When this kind of thing happens, what do you do? Are you the kind of person who's a conflict avoider? Where you try to ignore it, just move on, pretend it hasn't happened and, and just hope that it stops. Is that you? Or are you the kind of person who's up for a fight? You know, you're going to make a, you're going to make a scene. You're going to confront the person because you just want the truth to get out there. Are you the person who plots, thinking, how am I going to get revenge here? Give them a taste of their own medicine. I reckon in situations like this, personally for me, I'm a conflict avoider, but that's nothing to do with humility or anything. I think it's more of just a way to cover up the frustration and anger I feel beneath. And I reckon I'm the kind of person who keeps trying to think, now, if I was to get revenge, could I get away with it? What about David? What does he do? What's his go-to plan? I think this is where the psalm gets really instructive for us. See, David doesn't seek revenge. He doesn't become passive or aggressive or passive-aggressive or anything else like that. Instead, here's what David does. David goes to God. How did the psalm start? Verse 1. Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. For David, God is his refuge. God is his place of safety. God is where David knows he can go to get shelter and protection from those who are attacking him and trying to tear him down. 
And this idea of a refuge, it's something very familiar to us, isn't it? All too familiar recently when we've seen so many Ukrainians have to leave their country and go to some of the countries, the friendly countries around them because those countries are a refuge, a safe place, a place of protection where they won't be hit by bombs and missiles and invading troops. Can I show you a picture of my son Isaac? Uh, I, I, it's not up there yet, it's coming. Here it is. Let me set you up the story here. This, this happened sometime last year. Pip was away um, and I was looking after the kids and we all went to the playground and Isaac is on a swing. And rather than sitting his bottom on the swing, he likes to do the thing sometimes where he puts his belly on the swing and just goes back and forth like that. And as he was going back and forth, you know what happened. He lost his balance and he toppled over and his head hit the ground. Pip has seen this photo. Here's what happened. He's sad. A little bit of bleeding on the nose and the lip. And can you guess what he wanted at this point? He wanted his mum. Because she is his safe place. She is his refuge. When things are not going okay, he knows that if he goes to mum, that she'll protect him, care for him. And that's what he needs. David says for him, that place is God. God is his refuge. I want to make us ask the question, why? In some level, you can understand, can't you? People fleeing from war need the refuge of a safe country. A kid that's hurt themselves needs, needs the protection and the safety of their mother's arms. But why does David go to God here? Why not go to Saul and protest his innocence to Saul? Why not go to Cush and confront him about it? Why not sue for defamation? Why does David seek refuge in God? Because, and this is what the psalm is really clear about, it's because God brings justice. David has been slandered. Cush and probably others as well are trying to tear him down and so he seeks refuge in God because God is the one who can really bring justice to this situation. That's what verses 6 to 11 are all about. Look at what David says about God in verses 6 to 11. Um, In verse 6, David asks God to decree justice. In verse 8, David acknowledges that God can rightly judge the peoples. In verse 8, again, David seeks vindication, not because he is sinless and perfect, but because he's innocent of what Cush is saying about him. In verse 9, David recognizes that God is the one who can bring an end to violence and wrong. In verse 11, God is a righteous judge. So when David feels personal injustice it's right that he goes to god because god is the one who can bring justice and he doesn't just bring justice for david at this one moment but but in anything big and small you see the psalm progresses from david crying about his own situation to to a global thing where god works not just in the personal but the global god brings justice everywhere but notice this friends god 
has done nothing yet. David is not writing this psalm and saying, oh, look how God gave me justice and made my life better. David's situation has not changed yet. He is still being slandered. Still, no doubt, he is feeling that bubbling frustration of why is this happening to me? God has not yet acted to change anything, but that does not give David a reason to go somewhere else. That does not mean that David looks to someone else or something else other than God. He still trusts in God. He still knows that God brings justice because that is who God is. This this trust of David, finding refuge in God, it comes about because David knows that this is God's character. So in verse 9, what is God like? He is the righteous judge. Oh, sorry, the righteous God. In verse 11, he's a righteous judge. It's, the, it's saying that God will do right. That's part of who he is. That's part of his unchanging character. In verse 10 again, uh, David says that God is my shield. That God is a, is a protector of his people. Again, that's who he is. That's part of his unchanging character, what he is always like. God will bring justice because that's who he is. And so David goes to God as his refuge. Let's think about ourselves for a moment again. What kind of typifies our age? Well, lots of things really, but one of them is we live in an age of instant gratification, right? Instant gratification. If we want something, we want it now, not tomorrow. So we have places that serve us fast food because who wants to wait in line? We, we stream shows on Netflix because who wants to wait until next week to find out what happens in the next episode? We have smartphones that give us instant access to whatever information we want. There's no need to go to a library anymore. We have high-speed internet that lets us get that information, although maybe we don't have the high-speed internet, right? But that proves the point. What do you like when the internet goes slowly? Grumpy, I'm grumpy, I want that information now, I want a stream now, I want it now, and how dare you make me wait for it. We live in a time of instant gratification, don't we, friends? And here's the thing, I want prayer to be like that too. I want to be able to pray for something now and see the results, well, at least by the end of the day. If I pray this morning for the famine crisis that's developing in Somalia. I want bread to be raining down from heaven this afternoon to fix it. If I pray today for the Russian war in Ukraine to end, I want troops to be walking home tomorrow. And part of that can come from a good and godly desire, right? As we want to see life preserved, we want to see evil put to an end. And we want that to happen now because who wants it to go on for a minute longer? And that's a good, right and godly desire, friends. But here's the other thing. We need to remember when we're praying, God does not work to my timetable. And I shouldn't expect or demand him to do that. That can be hard, but ultimately here we need to be resting in the character of God. What is God like? He's good, isn't he? In fact, when I see evil and bad things happen, I need to remind myself, 
God hates this evil far more than I do. We need to rest in God's character, that he is a God who will bring justice because that is who he is. See, in his distress, David turns to God. God is his refuge. God's the one who brings justice for David and for everyone. And when David gets this, you know, it changes the way he sees the world. It means now David sees that sin does not work out. Evil does not pay off. And does it for two reasons. It, firstly, because God will judge and condemn sin. So look at verses 12 to 13 here. If he, that is, if Cush or anyone doing wrong, if he does not relent, then God will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He's prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. God's going to do battle against evil. God will not let it go on and on and on. He will bring it to an end. You see, sin does not win out because eventually God is going to judge every moment of evil. But also, secondly here, sin doesn't win out even in the here and now. Even now, it backfires on those who do it. So, verses 14 to 16, check it out. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit that they've made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. See, those who do evil now, it backfires on them. Do you know what the most dangerous job to have in Sydney at the moment is? It's to be a member of a gang because there are gang reprisals against each other all the time. Their evil is coming back on them. Now... As one writer I read this week, as one writer put it, he said this doesn't happen evenly. This happens unevenly in our world. But again we see very clearly sin does not win out. Evil does not pay, not in the here and now and not into eternity either. So how does the psalm end then? Well, it ends with David praising God. Verse 17. I'll give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Even though some are slandering David, even though they're dragging his name through the mud, David ends in praise to his God, not because his situation has changed there and then, but because he's gone to God and he's found God to be a refuge. And God will bring justice. Evil will not win out. So praise God. Praise must go to God. Friends, that is really the the tune, the heart of this song in Psalm 7. And ultimately, this song was sung by Jesus. Jesus lived the Psalm 7 experience. Think about it for a moment. How often was Jesus maligned and slandered? How often did people smear his name? Well, his own family went around saying that he's out of his mind. People from his own hometown didn't think he was worth spending any time with him. The leaders of the time, they they ran a smear campaign against Jesus. And ultimately, it was that smear campaign that led to Jesus' death. 
brought him to trial, where false witnesses lied about him, the leaders themselves slandered Jesus and accused him of wanting to overthrow the Romans, which is, of course, it's not Jesus did not, never want to do that. And yet that's why he was executed. Through his life then, how did Jesus respond? Did he, did he try and seek revenge? Well, no, he didn't, did he? He, he sought his refuge in God. He, Jesus was praying all the time. He'd stay up to pray. He'd wake early to pray. Even in the garden before he knew he was going to die, Jesus committed himself to prayer. Jesus sought God as his place of refuge. And he knew God's character too. Jesus knew that God is the one who brings justice. And so God would vindicate him. Jesus didn't need to vindicate his own name because that is what God would do for him. And ultimately, that's what the resurrection is, isn't it? It's Jesus' moment of vindication. You see, Psalm 7 really is Jesus' experience. So then, time to wrap up. What, what, what do we take away from this? First of all, if we as followers of Jesus, how, how do we view Psalm 7? Well, in it we see, we, we see it through Jesus. That Jesus is an example for us to follow. When he was wrong, he didn't seek revenge, but he sought God as his refuge. He, he, he turned to prayer as his constant diet. Friends, will we do, will, will we do likewise? When you're wronged, or when you see wrong things happening in the world around you, can I say, Psalm 7, the life of Jesus urges us to flee to God. The first place we need to go is our God, to cast our worries on him in prayer, to, to, to listen to what he says in his words so we can know him and know his character so that we might have a hope that he goes beyond this world, a hope rested in him. Friends, can I say, find your refuge in God. Make that your first response. Not because we should be inactive and just do nothing about wrongs, but this first step, we want to make our first step the right step. We want to flee to God, find our refuge in Him, and then let that shape whatever else we need to do afterwards. Look, there's, there's much more to say on this, isn't there? Things to figure out. What does it mean uh, in specific instances? What does it mean in the particular experience I'm going through? And so I hope this really fuels some discussion for us afterwards. And if you'd like to have to, to discuss things, you know, do chat to one another. There's a lot of wisdom in the room collectively here. Um, but for now, why don't we take that right first step and turn to God in prayer? Will you pray with me? Our good and gracious Father God, we thank you that we can find you, uh, find, find our refuge in you. Thank you that you are good and kind. Thank you that evil does not escape your sight. Thank you that you know about it and will bring justice. Teach us to know your character. Help us to be those who pray. Help us find refuge in you and comfort from you, Father, both when we ourselves are going through wrong and when we see wrong in the world around us. We need your help to do this, Father. 
So often we're prone to turn to revenge or aggression or, or, or other ways of dealing with things and we need your help and your spirit to remind us to come to you. Please do that for us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.